Okay, I want for you for a second to consider trophies, to consider NHL trophies, to consider those awards we hand out at the end of the season. And there's one that we're going to get to here in a couple of seconds. But safe to say that no one's won a trophy yet. There's not one player with one award that's completely run away with it. Uh, Hard trophy, still up for grabs. Ditto Norris. uh, Ditto Calder, although that guy in Seattle looks really good, doesn't he? Um, Take your pick. No one's won a trophy in the NHL yet, except for one, and it happened last night. And it's not necessarily a trophy that a lot of players might necessarily want to win. Alexander McGillney famously once refused to fly back from Russia in order to sit in the crowd as he was a candidate for this trophy. The Lady Bing trophy was won last night by Kale McCarr of the Colorado Avalanche with one very specific play. And you've probably seen it by now. If you're listening or watching a show like this, you know exactly what I'm talking about. In the last minute of the first period between the Colorado Avalanche and the New York Islanders, Kale McCarr is coming around the net. Matthew Barzal of the New York Islanders is giving chase. Barzal gives him a little bit of a tap, nowhere near the skates. McCarr goes down. The official, Brandon Blandina, I think it was Blandina, his arm goes up and he's going to make a tripping call. And Kale McCarr waves it off. And says, nope, that wasn't a trip. I just lost my edge. That's not a call. And the call was reversed. Now, a couple of things on this one. One, yes, that's could have put him in the lead for the, for the Lady Bing, the NHL's most gentlemanly player. Um, two, um, I think it's a lot easier for Kale McCarr to get away with that one on the Colorado Avalanche than, say, Martin Kaut or newly acquired Dennis Mulgan uh, or Jacob McDonald or anyone else playing in the bottom six or a bottom pair D situation. That is uh, a superstar player can get away with that one with minimal heat. I'm not sure that a bottom six or a bottom pair player is going to get away with the same when part of the reason you're out there, one, of course, to try to create offense and get goals. That's the name of the game in hockey, folks. The other is to try to draw penalties to put your team in advantageous positions. After the game, Kel McCarr said he apologized to his team. But in a lot of ways, like work with me on this one. I'm curious what you guys think about this as well. I'm going to ask Elliot his thoughts, too, and pretty much anyone who comes on the program today. Jaffe should probably have. Billy Jaffe's going to join me in hour two. He should have an interesting take on this one as well. Um, you know, in the moment, there's one, there's one way to look at it, and that is, oh, man, we had a power play, and our own player just took the power play away. And Kale McCarr said afterwards he apologized to teammates for doing that. But in a lot of ways, do you not think that Kale McCarr just bought himself the benefit of the doubt with every official in the NHL. What do officials always talk about? Building trust with the players. Building trust with the players. They'll want the players to embarrass. How many times have you seen a player get a penalty just because he's embarrassing an official? Or there are players that, you know, dive consistently and will never get the benefit of the doubt because it because of it. This is the opposite of that. This is Kale McCarr, not small picture one game on a Monday night in December. This is big picture Kale McCarr here, who may have actually done a lot more for himself and the Colorado Avalanche by waving off that penalty. 
Referees always talk about building trust with players. What builds trust with players more than admitting that you weren't tripped, you went down on your own, don't send our team to the power play. Now, things like this, I've talked to people about this, things like this have happened before. They don't happen very often, but when there's a play similar to that, Sometimes the official, the referee rather, the referee will go to the two players and say, was that a trip or did you just lose your edge? And sometimes, albeit it is rare, the player will say, nah, I just lost my edge on that one. And that is the building of trust between the player and the official. Again, fourth liners can't do that. Bottom pairing defensemen can't do that. When you're Kale McCarr, you can call off penalties, thankfully, for the Colorado Avalanche, they won the game. It was 0-0 through the 60, through the overtime, into the shootout, Evan Rodriguez with the game winner. We don't see it very often, but there it was. Kale McCarr calling off a penalty and maybe winning an NHL award in the process. Welcome to the show. Let's get going today. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. There's a lot from last night we'll talk about. We'll talk plenty about the Boston Bruins and how they just continue to rack up the wins 7-3 over the Florida Panthers yesterday. Patrice Bergeron with a uh, casual four-point night. Whatever, I'm 37 years old. I'm still playing like I'm 27 years old. Talk to Billy Jaffe about the Boston Bruins coming up in hour two. Ben Goats from the Las Vegas Review Journal. Uh, we'll be stopping by at the bottom of the hour. We'll talk about um, the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, Eichel still out. Aiden Hill not exactly sharp. We'll talk about the Knights. And we'll talk to Andrew Hammond at the uh, bottom of the second hour as well, who yesterday called it an NHL career. You know, it's interesting. Everybody knows the name. Everybody knows the story. Everybody knows the nickname. He only played 67 games in the NHL, but that streak with the Ottawa Senators was spectacular. Uh, joining us to talk about the news of the day, and we'll start with the Kale McCarr situation, is Elliot Friedman from 32 Thoughts and Hockey Night in Canada. Hello, Frege. You know, I knew when I saw this last night, Mara's going to make a big deal out of this. Oh, for sure. <laughs> and I am, and I will continue to do so. I'm going to ask you about it. I'll ask Jaffe about it. Uh, I asked my wife, my kids about it this morning. I may ask my dog later on in our walk about it. Um, how did you, how did you, a couple of things here. How did you see the play? And do you see this uh, like I do, which is a, there's a small picture and then there's the bigger picture, which is, I believe that Kale McCarr now is going to get a, the benefit of the doubt from every official in the NHL, at least for the rest of the season. Well, I completely agree with you. It is There are politicians who are watching that highlight last night saying, how can I do this with the general public? What can I do to get votes <laughs> to win an election? There's, yeah. there's no question. Um, th- there's no question that uh, I think that that will happen. That's, there's going to be there, there's not a TV producer alive that won't have this uh, queued up in their trucks for when Kale McCarr gets a pen or takes a penalty at a huge time to give Colorado a massive power play, and so and they roll that and say this is why Kale McCarr is getting drew that penalty <laughs> because back on December or whatever yeah. day this is the nineteenth nineteenth he did December, this December nineteenth. He did this. Yeah. Now, you know, the whole thing, like, first of all, Jeff, 
I wanted to say in real speed, I think I'm like everybody else. I thought it was a penalty. Um, you know, when it, when it happened, I, I looked at it and I said, hey, that's, uh, that's the right call. And I don't think you can blame the official at all at high speed. I think all, I bet almost everybody would have called it that. But, um, yep. you know, like it, it, the thing is, uh, first of all, I appreciate his honesty. Secondly, I, I think the other thing here too, Jeff, is that, you know, and I know this is where you're going with this because I know the way your mind works. It's, it's like, should, be, should Kale McCarr even be allowed to do that? Should it be allowed to happen? And I th- there have been some occasions over the years. I, can't, I didn't look it up. I, I can't remember the exact play. But there was a game in Pittsburgh, I remember, where uh, a few years ago where a player was being called for a penalty, and they showed it on the Jumbotron, and on the Jumbotron, it was pretty clear it actually wasn't a penalty, that even though it looked like it in real speed, it wasn't, and they, they took it off. And I remember at the time, like, my, my opinion is get the call right. You know, I, I, I think we're at the point where we don't want replays on everything, but I generally do think get the call right. And I didn't have a problem with it because they eventually got the call right. But I recognize it does open up a can of worms. You know, because I think what we're used to here, Elliot, this, this this conversation goes in a lot of directions. I think what we're used to in a situation yeah. like that is uh, the official makes the, the referee makes the call um, and uh, Matthew Barzell goes and sits too for tripping. Uh, but then what we see on the subsequent power play, or maybe after the power play is done, we're back to five on five, a really, really cheap call going the other way. Yeah, like we're so yeah, used to absolutely. the even up game that we're that we're that we're that we're not used to a player just saying, you know what, nah, wait, wait, wave it off. I I, I just lost an edge on that one. Like I, I spoke to someone in the NHL this morning who said, you know, it does happen. You don't see it very often. It doesn't get noticed on television. But there are times where referees in a situation are like, did you just lose an edge or did you trip? And, you know, I mentioned off the top of the show about how officials are always looking to build trust with players. And that's one of the ways that players build trust with players. Like, you don't, you don't see it. Like, the Makara one is obvious because he's waving it off. And this person told mm-hmm. me, like, look, it is very rare. Don't present this as if it happens all the time. But there are situations where players will say, nah, I just lost an edge. And that goes a yeah. long way with officials. I mean, what do we keep hearing, right? Officials uh, don't want I, to be I believe that. Don't dive. Don't I wonder. I, want, I would love to know how many guys tell the truth. Oh, absolutely. Well, for sure. Well, that's the thing. But see, here's the other part of this. Like, there's, a, there's another dynamic to this one as well. Trust me, you can tell I've thought a lot about this. It's one thing <laughs> for Kale McCarr, okay? It's one mm-hmm. thing for Kale McCarr to wave it off. It's another if you're, mm-hmm. with all due respect, Curtis McDermott to wave one off. Yeah. Like, Makar can do it, right? If you're Curtis McDermott, you come back to the bench and say, you like my honesty, coach? <laughs> what do you, <laughs> what do you, what do you think is going to come back the other way? <laughs> that's, you know, I'm to tell you, that's, that's pretty funny. Uh, so that was that situation. Um, an interesting one between the Avalanche uh, and the New York Islanders. Uh, here's one. So the Buffalo Sabers and Tage Thompson, uh, the Buffalo Sabers again, like they're they're they beat the Golden Knights yesterday. Uh, yeah. I'm going to talk to talk to to Ben here at the bottom of the hour. Tage Thompson scores again, and I don't know that we're there yet. But how close are we to having the conversation that like 
I'll still say that St. Louis won that trade. They won the Stanley Cup, yeah. and Ryan O'Reilly won the Consolation Trophy. But how, cl- yeah. yeah, how close are we to saying that, you know, in this process of acquiring Tage Thompson, not only did they end up with the best player in the trade, they ended up with a new franchise player, maybe even one that's better than the guy they sent to Vegas. Are we close to that yet, well, in your opinion? I, I think we need a bit more runway, but we're in the conversation, right? Um, you know, we that, sure that, are. I think so. I, that, that's where the, I, I think it's the, the number one thing. Where, we, where I think we are, Jeff, is we're at a spot where the trade doesn't look as bad as, as it did. Like, now we can look at the trade and right. say, okay, this trade isn't as bad as we thought it was. Because for years, we thought that trade was grand larceny. Like, like, the, like Doug yeah. Armstrong was going to jail, and this wasn't small claims court. He, he was going to, you know, he, he, he was going yeah, to federal, crime. federal prison. Yeah, federal prison yeah. for that trade. And that, that feeling has changed now. That, and and it's, it's always a reminder that, and, you know, it's funny. I know you talked to Brent Thompson, Tage's dad, last week, and I talked to him too. Yep. And the thing that he talked about was Tage was always a late bloomer. And both Tage and him say at their best, say, say that he's still not his best yet. Once he adds like another eight pounds, they think he, and, and the thing that Tage Thompson has talked yeah. about is that he wants, he doesn't just want to put on eight pounds. It has to be eight pounds that fits with the way he wants to play the game. Like they still think he isn't to where he's really going to get to. And it's a reminder that mm-hmm. not everybody develops at the same time. And it's a reminder, too, that when you make a big trade, you have to be patient. Like, you know what, was, you know what anniversary yeah. was this week? It was the anniversary of the Joe Neuendijk-Jerome McGinley trade. And remember, at the oh, time, wow. the, yeah. the Flames fans were like, that's insane. And Al Coates, who was the general manager of the Flames, now, you know, people look at it. They, there's a guy who left Calgary and was a key piece of two more Stanley Cups and played for over another decade, right? And you could look at it and you say, he made an even trade because he got Jerome McGinley. And so, like, like, the thing is, like, it's just a reminder that we like to make quick decisions. What's your draft grade? A. Yeah. Well, we might not see any of these guys play for five years. But, you know, I, yeah. I, think, I think that's where we are, Jeff. We're in a spot where you can say, this deal at least made sense for Buffalo. So a couple of things in there. One, if memory serves correct, I believe the first player that Calgary asked for was Todd Harvey. And I Dallas believe you're right no. about that. And, yeah, he, I and believe then they you're went right to Ginn Gin- Gin- yeah. instead. Um, the, uh, the other thing, um, in, in, talking to his da- in talking to Tage Thompson's dad, Brent, last week, and, and this is one for every single hockey parent listening right now. Every single hockey parent listening or watching right now, he said, Tage was always the smallest kid on every team. Like when you talk about late bloomers, not just skill set, but physically as well. He said he was always the smallest. And I kind of chuckle, like, you got to be kidding me. Like we look at Tage Thompson now, we're like, what cave did he come out of? This guy's enormous. (laughs) He's like, no, he was always the smallest. He's the smallest on every team, (laughs) which is, you know, further to the point about uh, about late bloomer. Then you were talking on the podcast about being available for a fifth, and it's like, Sam Pollock's all. all, Sam Pollock used to have the great line. 
Never give up on a young player until you're 100% sure. Not 99% sure, yeah. but 100% sure. Um, yeah. And that is the story of Tage Thompson. Okay, another thing I wanted to get your opinion on here, because it keeps happening, and it keeps happening to the same player over and over again, and we saw it last night. And maybe you have a take on this or you have a thought on this. I, I'm... You know, I think a lot of us look at it and just say, hey, keep your head up out there. I know you're a big kid, but you got to be careful. This is the NHL. Yesterday, Shane Gostas Bear caught Yuri Slavkovsky with a neutral zone hit that was textbook. And yep. this isn't the first time that Slavkovsky's been caught. We think of Luke Shen, who caught him. Yep. Josh Brown, who caught him. Jason Dickinson, yep. who caught him. Like, we're not even yep. at Christmas here, and there's four huge collisions involving Yuri Slavkovsky. Do you have a thought on this one? Like, if I'm Marty St. Louis, like, you're, you have to be certain that Marty has said something to him about, you know, heads up in, in different areas. And this isn't even just a matter of, like, hey, knowing who's on the ice. Like, when Luke Shen's out there, you better be heads up, get it. Josh Brown, ditto. This is Shane Gostas Bear. And before that, Jason Dickinson. Like, this guy is getting caught consistently out there for each. Well, what, what it says to me, when I, when I saw that hit last night, and again, I agree with you, it was a textbook check by Gostas Bear, it said to me that the word's out that you can hit this guy. Hmm. Like, every, everybody knows it. Because, you know, Shane Gostas Bear, he, he, like, to, when, when I see that, he recognizes who's on the ice, that this is a guy who puts himself into situations where he can get hit and he goes for it because that's not something yeah. he does a lot. Like it's, it's, it's not his game. No. Right. But he knows like, 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 do you disagree with me? Like, that's the first thing I thought of that the book is out that you can hit this guy because he's, because he's not looking. Uh, I mean, it would make some sense. Um, I just, I just look at Slavkovsky and say that, he, he does put himself in these situations where maybe growing up, you know, we just talked about Tage Thompson and, and being big and, you know, yep. putting on extra, you know, eight or ten, eight, eight pounds now. I just wonder if part of this is the old Lindros phenomenon where he's always been bigger than everybody. Yeah, of and too. now he's in yes. a league where he's not bigger than everybody and where, you know, 15 and 16 year olds would bounce off of him. You know, no one's bouncing off of him in the NHL when they take runs at him. It's him that's going down now. That's what I think. Well, I think it's all. I, I think that's true. I think you're right. I think it's also that he comes from places where you don't get hit anymore, right? Like, uh, like he, Bigger ice. you know, he was born in, he was born in Slovakia. He played last year in Finland. How much? Yeah, bigger ice. And how much do you think he's worried about getting hit? He's not. And now we're, yeah. you know, now we're coming over here, and you're you're gonna get hit. Like, like I was actually thinking last night, and. This is purely my opinion. Like, I was almost wondering, do you have to keep him out of the lineup until you, you for his own safety, just to say, hey, like, you, you can't play until we figure this out. Like, I don't know if that's the right answer, but, like, the thing is, Jeff, like, nobody wants to see, like, that Ryan Reeves hit last week, uh, that, to me, was a clean hit, but we don't want to see Ronick yep. blown up like that, right? And, yep. um, and, and so... I think, like, when I was watching it, I was almost looking at it and saying, is there a responsibility here to, to I don't know if responsibility is the right word, 
But do you get to a point here where you got to say, look, you know, you're, you're a, you, you can't, we can't play you until we get you used to this. Because yeah. what did you say? It's four but times. That, that, I remember three, but now I guess it's four. Yeah. Well, Gostas Bear last night. Before that, Luke Shen. Um, yep. And then Josh Brown in the Arizona game previous. And then Jason Dickinson in the game against Chicago. This is four times like a large collisions. But to say nothing of the uh, of the preseason as well. Like, uh, you always sort of skate with a target on you when you're the first overall pick in the NHL, and I get that. But this is like, I don't know, it just feels like out of the ordinary. And maybe I am warming to your idea that this guy's available to be hit, so if you have a chance to get a lick in on him, fill your boots. That's what I, honestly, when I watched that last night, that's what I thought. Yeah. That, that everybody knows that, that he's like that. Like, like, to, like, God, like I said, Goss Bear, he's not a dirty player. Like, I, I don't know how many penalty minutes he's got in his career. I don't know that he's ever been suspended. But when you think of dirty players, Shane Goss Bear isn't the guy that yeah, comes into your mind. So, like, to me, he was like, it was almost like, like, it was almost like a pre-scout thing. Like, oh, here he comes and he doesn't pay attention. Like, that, that's what I thought. Hmm. Um, okay, a couple of more things here. Um, and I'm gonna, we talked so much about Vancouver. I'm going to try to stay away from the loss last night. But oof, that was a tough one. Um, Dallas. The Dallas Stars' five-game road trip has wrapped up. And you know what road trips are like. The last one is always the toughest. And they beat Columbus by one goal yesterday, 2-1. to one. Um, And that last one, because it's like we're so close to home, we're packed, we're ready to go, let's just get this over with. That was a gritty one. So they finish up their five-gamer, 3-1-1. One, and one. and now, and maybe this is just me, Elliot. Maybe you have a different number. But I've always said I don't start to make my mind up about goaltenders really until they play 100 games. That to me is, uh-huh. is that's just me. That's, that's my number. Maybe you have a different one. But that was number 100 now for Jake Ottinger. And we've seen Jake Ottinger a hundred times. So now I'm comfortable making my mind up about Jake Ottinger. This was a good road trip for the Dallas Stars. This one helped, you know, help help cement them. You know, uh, uh, we saw Jason Robertson finally shake his funk as well and, and find the back of the net. Um, do you have a number for goaltenders yourself? Mine is a hundred. Like, how many games do you need to see a goalie until you start to make up your mind? I don't know that. Uh, I don't know that. To me, um, I have a number. It's it's probably like you know, in the debate between analytics and and eye test. I because my father is a is an accountant and a very good one. He's been chief financial officer of a couple companies, and because we all rebel against uh, our parents, uh, I, I generally <laughs> tend to be more of an eye test guy. Like, I've worked hard to change that. I think that as we learn more about what numbers can really matter in, in hockey, I, I try to be much more open-minded about it. But because of my younger, I hate my parents' days, I tend to lean away from, uh, from uh, analytics and hard numbers. Um, I, uh, like, to me, you've got to do it more than once. Like, how many great goalies have there been out there? How many goalies out there have had great runs? Like, you know, the one I remember from my childhood is Steve Penn. Like, there was a year with the Montreal oh, Canadiens yeah. that he looked like 84. he was going to be an all-word goalie. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, obviously it doesn't last. Like, 
like Ottinger last year, if, if you had any doubts, he put himself on everybody's radar. And I don't know if I, but like, I don't know if I would say it's a hundred games, Jeff, but I look at that guy and I say, he's for real. You know, he's, yep. he's absolutely for real. Now, I, I wanted to say, I wanted to back up. Like you said, you're tired of Vancouver. You're looking for a new angle. Uh, I, I got one for you. I got a text <laughs> last night as I was going to bed, okay. and uh, someone said to me, there isn't a team in the NHL that needs the Christmas break right more than the Canucks. Like, those guys That's just need to they, – they just need – and, and, and he said to me, like, it's partially your fault, too. And I said, okay, uh, why, I'll hit me. Why is that? <laughs> and he said, like, you know, he just said, like, um, there's so much going on around that team. And, uh, like, you know, at, at Vancouver, it's such an intense uh, market, uh, especially when, yeah. you know, things are – when they're struggling like this. And, and, like, let's not go down the road. I'm not blaming anybody. I'm just saying it's intense. Um, and yeah. he said that you can see it, like, on them, like – They've played 30-something games, and everybody there is exhausted. They said Boudreaux looks exhausted. Horvat looks exhausted. Uh, the players look exhausted because it's not just, like, they're right there, and every time they get close, they they blow up, and also now they're hearing that there's only one guy who's not available, right? So he, this guy just said to me, like, that's a team that needs a break. They need to break, and they need to reset because uh, it's it's – it's been like a tire fire a week out there. Uh, okay, well, let's focus on the other side of the rink then. Jordan Kyber with the hat trick. He's got yep. nine points in his last three games, so that's a nice little heat up there yeah. uh, for someone yep. that uh, that they've uh, they've invested a lot in. Do you have a thought on what St. Louis? I mean, t- to me, they're one of the most intriguing teams. Like that's the that to I me agree. is a team that's like catching the handful of water. I have I have zero handle on who the St. Louis Blues are, like zero, Elliot, none, nada, zip. Do you? Well, I think they're, I, I think they're trying to figure it out. I, like, we, like, this is one thing that we've talked about a lot with them, that they're really searching for an identity. And, you know, for, for a long time, the Blues' identity was, and when they won the Stanley Cup, like, you, you fought, they made you fight and scratch and claw for every bit, bit of ice you got. And... If you look, mm-hmm. you know, since the Stanley Cup final, you've got Petrangelo gone, who was their captain. You've got David Perron gone, who was a really important player on that team. Um, you know, uh, Bennington's still Bennington, but he's been up and down. And you've basically handed over the team, and it had to happen eventually to Thomas and Cairo, who were secondary players when you won your championship. And mm-hmm. I think they're still trying to find their group. Like, Somebody said to me the other day that he wonders, and he says there's no way anybody would ever admit it or talk about it, but, you know, he wonders if watching Montgomery in Boston, if you were going to turn the team over to Thomas and Cairo, would have been better to have Montgomery as the head coach. And he said that's not a shot of Barube, Mm. who he thinks is actually a very good head coach. But he said, would it have made more – he says – I don't know how you do that, though. Like, Barubi, he said, is a really good head coach, and he's not like a caveman, like some people might think he is, but he's a really open-minded guy. And he just said, though, would that team's personnel have been better for 
Montgomery than it was for Berube. And then Berube could have gone on the other market and somebody would have hired him for sure. But he says, I don't know how you do that. And I just think Mm -hmm. the Blues are are still figuring it out. I think they've got a lot of good players. Um, You know, just to me, like the, the future decisions, like the Blues to me are one of those teams that's probably sitting there saying, okay, can we get an idea on where the cap is going to be? Because you're sitting there. Like, I got to think Tarasenko won't be back. I figure that soap opera right. has hit its end. But I'm sure they'd like to keep O'Reilly. But you got to know what you're playing with. So I got a note from someone wondering about one. It's interesting because he just played last night, wondering about one situation specifically. You know, when you're the St. Louis Blues, and to your point, you're looking for an identity, trying to find a little bit more bite. Uh, and you're the Vancouver Canucks that are looking to to change the composition of this team. How much would a Luke Shen trade work or a look with the St. Louis Blues to be united with his brother Braden? Well, look, I, I just think with him, I, I think there's going to be a lineup. Oh, I agree. Uh, like, the like the thing all, that I would, the, the I'm thing sure that they'd I would love to play together. Yeah, I'm sure they'd love to play together for sure. See, I. I'm with you, and I think there's going to be a lot of teams interested. I wonder how goofy the bidding gets. And where once upon a time I would have said, nah, there's no way they'll get a first-round pick. I don't know. Well, put it this way. I don't know if I'm saying that anymore. I think you want to look at some of the deals out there. Look at what's out there, okay? So Columbus has a defenseman that I think a lot of teams like, and that's Gavrikov. Gavrikov. What did Columbus get for David Savard? They got a first and a third. Okay? Mm-hmm. Montreal's got a defenseman that some teams like, and that's Joel Edmondson. Now, he's not a rental. Yeah. But what did they, what did they get for Ben Sherrod? They got a first. First round pick. Yeah. So what do you think Montreal is asking for, and what do you think Columbus is asking for? So do you think first Vancouver is going to be any different? Yeah. I it when I when I when I got that note, I really started thinking how much that could really make sense for the St. Louis Blues. That really, really could. Again, we'll see. And, and he's got from the he's trade got deadline. Bay Armstrong. Like, first of all, let's give that guy a a, a a nice Christmas with his family. Thank God there's a roster fee free, so none of this stuff can actually happen. But um, yeah, yeah, it's uh, like uh, I, I I think I, I'm watching the Canucks last night. I agreed to, with that person that. The, the Christmas can't come soon enough for that team. And it's, you know, it's a big one tonight for Calgary, too. I think this is – they got a big win the other night. There's going to be no hurdle tonight. Uh, I, I think this is – I think if you're Calgary, you got to have this one. Oh, I wanted to just say something. Something on the pod yesterday, I had a few people send yeah, me some up? DMs about what we said about Natchez. And, uh, um, and oh, yeah. yeah, so – yeah, so – so Kachuk obviously went to Florida, but one of the teams that was in there was uh, Carolina, and um, yep. you know I mentioned that I, I mentioned that uh, that if Kachuk had gone to Cal- to Carolina, um, NH- NHS was going to be part of the deal. And I had some Flames fans who asked a little bit more about that. And so basically, what I could well, first of all, Kachuk controls it. I think he wanted to go to Florida, so that yep. that's number one. Number two, um, yeah, I, I, I think I think Jake Gardner was gonna ha- was gonna be in the deal. I, Calgary had to take money back to make it all work, 
So I think that was that was part of it. And um, I do, like I do think there was some there was potential some more money there. I don't know what the exact deal was, um, uh, it, but it was it was Gardner was in it. Um, I think some more money was potentially in it. And there were some, mm-hmm. I think, some prospects in there, though not Carolina's best prospects. And, uh, you know, I, yeah. I, some Flames fans were like, I wish we would have done it. And I said, look, like, you got two great players. And we talked yesterday at length about Huberto. Um, in terms of hockey, I think that was the best deal you were going to get. Um, you know, Natchez is a really good player. He's having a great year. Carolina and a lot of other people felt differently about them last year. Calgary just went for the trade they thought that made them the best team right away. And that was Hubert Owen Weger, but that's kind of what it was like. It was, I think it was, I think it was Natchez. It was Gardner. It was maybe another salary. And I think there was a pick or two and a prospect or two, mm-hmm. but Carolina's best prospects were off the table. So um, gotcha. that's kind of what it was. The, uh, the other thing, speaking of natures, that I should um, uh, add more clarity to as well, because I told the story of the Buffalo Sabres. And, oh, yeah, you know, you're just letting Buffalo had a, had, had a, I know. I want to add a little more clarity to it because there were some people <laughs> that were confused by how I presented it. So it is. So that was who everyone agreed they were going to take if he was available at that position. And then I said there was an audible called, and they went with Casey Middlestad. And people said, well, why would the scouts call an audible after they had already decided that wasn't the scouts that did that? That was management uh, that decided to, to call that one and go the Casey Middlestad route instead of Martin Natchez, uh, to which the Carolina Hurricanes were, as we all know now, um, the beneficiaries. Put that one um, to bed because we got a break. Uh, you mentioned the Sharks and the Flames. That is tonight, 1030 Eastern on Sportsnet West. Uh, Kraken and Blues tonight. We mentioned the St. Louis Blues. They'll facing off against Seattle at 10 on Sportsnet 1. And the early game should be a good one as well. Man, two good teams. Rangers and the Penguins. Uh, that gets underway at 7 nice. Eastern. All right, Fridge, have a good rest of your day. We will chat soon. All right, guys. All right, it's harder, Jeff. Take care, buddy. Speak to you later, man. There you go. Uh, Elliot Friedman from 32 Thoughts and Hockey Night in Canada.